This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash javascriptjabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Donovan Brown. Donovan, do you want to say hello? Hi, I'm Donovan Brown. I'm a Principal DevOps Manager at Microsoft. Yeah, we had you on. uh, We did a live interview at Microsoft Ignite in 2016. And yep. we talked about DevOps. I think we also had Jordan Matheson on that episode, if I remember right. I believe I believe that is correct. Yeah, there was a couple of us from Microsoft on that one. So yeah, yeah. DevOps is my focus. Absolutely. So um, this interview is more around your story. Like, how did you get to where you are? How did you get into the things that you do? And so okay. uh, I'm, I'm going to back things up just a little bit and ask how you got into... I'm wondering if I should ask programming, which is what I usually ask, or DevOps. Actually, programming is where I started. DevOps is where I am. Okay. So I guess it was I was in the eighth grade, um, and that was the first time I'd ever programmed anything. And it was QBasic, and it was this little computer class I had in the eighth grade. Now, and I'm 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 in my forties now, so that was long before you had a computer at your house, right? right. So the only time I had a chance to touch a machine was when I went to class. And I didn't touch a computer again until the 10th grade when I had an elective called computer math, which Mm -hmm. oddly enough was not about math and computers. It was programming class using, again, QBasic. And I loved it. Right? I really enjoyed the class. My brain kind of works in zeros and ones, and it's either true or false. I don't like gray areas. So programming, like, really made sense to me. I was really good at it. But, again, that's still, like, late 80s, early 90s, still didn't have a computer at the house. Um, so I got to play with computers there and knew I loved it, but then never thought it could be something I do for a living because I didn't even have a computer. Right. So then we fast forward till I get into college. I've always been an entrepreneur. I had always, no matter what I do, I try to figure out how can I make money at this? So mm-hmm. I, I was in school and I was taking a chemistry class and I would take really, really good notes. By then I had a computer, but I had forgotten all about programming and I did a lot of desktop publishing at the time. So I'd go home and I'd type up my notes. Mm-hmm. And they'd be really nice, all the graphics and everything. And then I'd go back to school the next day and I would sell them <laughs> to, nice. to my students, right? So the students didn't have to come to class and they have these amazing notes from the instructor. So I was really good with computers. Uh-huh. So I remember at the time, the young lady I was dating and I were at the mall in here in Houston, Texas, where I live. It's called the Galleria. There was a store there called Brookstone. And it's like a, it was like a sharper image competitor at the time. And they had this really cool board game in there called Quartro. It's an extremely simple game, a lot of fun, only had 16 pieces in it. It's made out of wood, but it was like $60 because it's at Brookstone, right? This isn't your like Monopoly for 12 bucks. I was like, okay, I am a poor college student. I do not have $60 to drop on a board game. I know what I'll do. I'm just going to go home and I'm going to make it myself because it's so simple. So uh-huh. we went to the craft store. We bought some clay miserable failure. I'm not as artsy <laughs> as I thought I was. So it was like, okay, that didn't work. 
Then I thought to myself, I'm a man, right? Yeah, I'm going to go to the hardware store. I'm just going to buy my own freaking wood. I'll carve this myself. Horrible failure. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, like, hold on. I remember this programming language I had back in high school called QBasic. Now I have a computer. I bet you I can write this game. Mm-hmm. And I went and started playing with QBasic, started figuring it out, and literally felt like I was obsessed. Like I, I was having so much fun. All I wanted to do was figure out how do I make this game work inside of this computer? It was all vector-based. It was hideous. But when I was done, it worked, right? I mean, it was probably like two weeks of me just doing nothing but playing with this program, and I got it to work. And it was so ugly, but in the back of my mind, I said, I bet if I made this pretty, I could sell it. So Uh I went to the bookstore, and I got Teach Yourself C in 21 Days, and I started programming. And I started writing software. When I was in college, I was a biology major. But I decided I didn't want to do that anymore because I was doing research at, at Methodist Hospital and they wanted me to actually computerize their their file system. I ended up having more fun setting up their database than doing the research nice. I'm supposed to be doing. And that's when I realized I'm doing the wrong thing for my life. So I, I switched from that. Right. I went over to Compact Computers and got a job as a technical writer, still teaching myself how to program C and then got into my uh, Compact and within six months convinced them to promote me to a software engineer. And that's where I learned just tons, right? I mean, I'm sitting there at Compaq. It's the largest computer company in the world. We're just blazing trails everywhere. And I'm literally in the heart of it. This is before Google. This is be- this is back when you had news groups mm-hmm. where you'd have to post a question. And then yeah. weeks later, if you're lucky, someone would answer that question. <laughs> I remember that. And now here I – yeah, it was horrible. And now I'm sitting inside a Compaq where I have these brilliant people around me. And I could ask them all the questions that would take me days, if not weeks, to get the answers to and I was just like a sponge, just sucking up as much of that as I possibly could. I stayed at Compact for about two years before uh, I left. So that's like 98, 99 time frame. And that's right when the tech bubble started to get really big. And I just started hopping around from company to company, like playing hungry, hungry hippos with as much money as I could get. Because <laughs> like, if you even could spell programming, you were getting hired for just an astronomical amounts of money. And that's exactly what I did for quite some time. And then I went independent for a while, and then that's when I finally got into Notion Solutions where as I started switching over into DevOps. Still a programmer to this day. Right before I got on this call with you, I was finishing up some code on a PowerShell module that I was working on, mm-hmm. and I just started working on a new extension for Yo Team, which is a um, Yeoman generator that I wrote that cranks out pipelines for Node.js and other languages. Nice. So I still code every single day. DevOps is just the way that I bring it all together and make it cool. But yeah. My story from programming is from the eighth grade is when I started and um, didn't get serious until I was in college. That's awesome. And and I just I, I kind of love this this journey that you kind of paint for us where um, you found you found your place right where I was doing this and I realized that's where I should be and not biology. And then also realizing that you had skills that made a difference for people and you could, you could make that kind of a difference there. I'm I'm curious, you know, as you went through your career as a software developer, when did things really start to connect on DevOps? Because I know that that's your main focus. Um, you do or did a podcast about DevOps. Yep. So so yeah. So so where where does that transition start to happen? That transition happened after I went independent. So I was an independent consultant. I've been with lots of different companies. I'd seen lots of different software design patterns. I've done RUP. I've done test-driven development. I'd done waterfall. I'd seen all the good and I've seen all the bad over decades of writing software. And I literally got a cold call. It was, it was really interesting. Um, 
I was independent for about three years, trying to get over it. Because if you've been independent, mm-hmm. you understand that you have to find the work, you have to do the work, you have to build for the work, all yep. the while still finding nor- the next batch of work. Because if you don't do that correctly, there's this long period of no money's coming in as you go try to find that new work. And I was just tired of it, right? I was a one-man show, and I was just like, man, I'd really, I'm ready to go back into the corporate world and just let someone else <laughs> deal with that nonsense. And lo and behold, my phone rang. And there's this guy I've never met before in my life says, Hi, my name is Chris Minigay. I'm starting up a company called Notion Solutions, and I got your resume from Microsoft, and I think you have what I need. I'm like, first of all, let's back up. I have never, ever submitted my resume to Microsoft, so there, are you sure you have the right Donovan Brown? I've never applied to that company. He's like, no, I got your number. Here it is. I got this from Microsoft. Now, I, if you want, I can tell you how that ended up happening later on. So I, I finally <laughs> figured out how my, my resume right. got into Microsoft. But Chris comes off and says, okay, I've seen your resume. You've done a lot of software development. I'm looking for people who can go into companies and help them implement best practices for software. There's this new product coming out from Microsoft called Team Foundation System, I think it was what it was called back then. And it's basically everything that you need to turn an idea into a working piece of software. So, and what, so what's really cool about this job is that you get to go all over the world and do this. So we have one of the places was Poland. He had a place in Singapore oh, wow. and somewhere else he was going to send me like, oh, this is awesome. And I've never been to those places. I'd love to. And he, I meet him down here in Houston. Uh, we have a great lunch. He makes me an offer. I accept. And the first place he sends me is freaking Alabama. I'm like, dude, <laughs> what happened to Poland and Singapore right. and all that stuff, man? Alabama, seriously, this is the first place I go. Uh, but they made it up to me. I ended up going to England and I got to go to India and I got to go to Germany, a lot of cool places, thanks to Notion Solutions. So. But that's when I made the switch, right? So it was from pure development to what we call process consulting. Right. Go in, figure out what they're doing, figure out where they're failing, and help them do that better from source control, work items, tracking, continuous integration, automatic deployment, like the whole nine yards. So I did that for about seven years. And it's funny because Notion Solutions was this tiny little company. Uh, I, I think at the biggest while I was there was like 13 people, right. and which uh, which half of those were admins, right? We had people who answered the phones and dealt with that, and you had this this small group of consultants mm-hmm. who just understood process. And we flew all over the place. Eventually, we got acquired, and we started leaving, and everyone was leaving going to Microsoft. So the two founders went to Microsoft. There was just this huge line of people that used to work at Notion going into Microsoft. And eventually, one of the previous people was what they call a technical sales professional. His job was literally to go demo TFS, mm-hmm. which is the product we've been working with for the last seven years. Right. He decided to go from technical to pure sales and knew of me and basically said, Donovan, I need to come in and backfill me. I need you to be the guy that does the demos for me uh-huh. while I go off and do the licensing stuff. And that's how I got into Microsoft. And the funny thing is, is about, I think actually... I think there's only two people of the original 13 who are not at Microsoft. All oh, right. wow. So eventually we all <laughs> ended up there at Microsoft. It's crazy. Uh, so we've all had a path through there. But that's where the transition happened. The first time I ever heard the word DevOps was actually after I joined Microsoft, late 2013. Uh-huh. So I had been doing this, but I didn't know the cool name of it. I was heads down with customers every single day. So no one saw me on blogging. No one ever heard me speak. No one knew who I was because I was too busy at the customer. I didn't have time to blog, never went to conferences, never did podcasts, nothing. I was just helping the customers do this. And then when I came to um, Microsoft, DevOps was the hot topic, right? It's like uh-huh. Donovan, everything's, everyone's talking about DevOps. We've got to make sure that Visual Studio Online, which was what it was called back then, actually helps customers do that. That's what you have to come in and sell. 
That happened to be about the same time that Microsoft acquired a product called InRelease from a company called InCycle. Okay. And InRelease is basically what we call release management today. It's the uh -huh. part that takes output of your build and deploys it to all your environments for you. So what I do is I come to this company, I see this new product, and it's like, oh my God, this is what I had been missing for the last seven years. If uh -huh. TFS had this seven years ago, the stuff I would have been able to do for our customers would have been amazing. Right. So I attached myself to that product. I said, oh, oh, oh I see how important you are. Mm -hmm. I know what problem you solve, and this is going to allow us to do such amazing things. So I was playing with release management um, and trying to learn it, trying to get it to deploy everything I could possibly get it to deploy. And at that time, we did everything through what we call the Brian Keller VM. Right. It's a virtual machine you can download. Brian Keller created it, mm -hmm. and it had all these cool walkthroughs through it. Release management happened to be installed in there, and one day I'm just going to town trying to make it do all this cool stuff, and I break it. And I break it, too. <laughs> like, this whole nice. VM doesn't even want to reboot anymore. I'm like, holy crap, what have I done? So it was interesting because I just joined Microsoft in December of 2013. Uh -huh. Right now... We're probably in January or February of 2014. So I'd only been there a couple of months. And I knew who Brian Keller was, but I'd never spoken to Brian Keller. So I felt very uncomfortable as a new Microsoft person sending an email to one of their most famous people and asking for help. <laughs> I, like, right. I work at Microsoft. Let me see what happens. So I send Brian an email. He's like, yeah, I'd be more than happy to help you. Uh, I'll set up a meeting and we'll get on a call and you'll walk me through what's going on. I was like, that sounds great. So I keep screwing with the VM. I mess it up even worse. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm just going to cancel this meeting and I'm just going to start over from scratch. So I send Brian an email. I said, Brian, I'm so sorry. I'm going to go ahead and cancel. I've screwed it up so bad. I'm just going to get a fresh version of the hard drive and just start all over again. And I, I, I know I canceled the meeting. I go downstairs to talk to my girlfriend. And for some reason, I come back upstairs at around the same time that the meeting was supposed to happen. And I have an IM from Brian Keller saying, hey, Donovan, I'm on the bridge. And I'm like, oh, my God, I canceled it. I'm so sorry. Please, I, I, I told you it was broken. He's like, no, 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 I know, but I think I know what's wrong with it. Let's just hop on the bridge anyway. I'm like, okay, great. So I hop on the bridge, and I'm kind of starstruck, right? This is mm -hmm. Brian Keller, the guy whose picture you see on the VM all the time. And we're hanging out, and he asked me, what was I trying to do? And he realized at that point that I was pushing RM to places that like no one had tried to push that product before. Right. I was like, wow, man, you're doing things I didn't even know it was possible to do. That's incredible. How would you like to speak at Tech at North America in March? And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> uh, I would love to do this. This is incredible. Like, so what I want you to do is I want you to basically create a demo for release management for Tech. So this is like February, March. I now have to speak at one of the largest tech conferences yeah. in the world. First time I will ever speak on stage in front of anyone ever. Right. So it's yeah. like the stress is like out of control. So I build which should have been a demo that should not work, right? I built, uh -huh. I flew in every bell and whistle. I made it as complicated for myself as I possibly could to prove that this was an amazing product that you could go do amazing stuff with. Um, the demo went really, really well. And the founder of InCycle, the company where we bought InRelease, was on stage with me because he now works at Microsoft uh -huh. and let me demo his product with him. He was really impressed with what I was able to do. And then he and I went to Europe together and, and showed his product. And next thing you know, I'm touring all over the world. And that's what kind of got my name synonymous with DevOps was that demo being the catalyst of, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Let's right. fly him all over the world and have him tell people how good this product is and what we can do for you when it comes to DevOps. Now, what, four years later, I run a team at Microsoft whose sole purpose is to basically rub DevOps on it and make it better, which is what I say whenever I'm on stage. And it's just 
it's unbelievable that 2014 was the first time I ever stepped on stage. Mm-hmm. And now here it is 2018 and I keynote all over the world. So sometimes I don't even believe it's my life. It's like, how did this happen? Yeah. And it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I've seen you do demos at build and at connect, um, you know, just as part of the, uh, is it a keynote? I, I yeah, guess. Scott Guthrie's keynote, yeah. And yeah, it's, you know, it's just, you know, it's like, wow, you know, all, and all of the stuff you guys show off at those things, it's just like, holy cow that, you know, that's amazing that you can do that. And then what's really funny is, you know, I've talked to Scott Hanselman. I've talked to you. I've talked to a few other people that are involved and they're all like, oh, you wouldn't believe the crap we had to cut just to get it down to time. Right. And so it's, it's not just, oh, wow, you can do that with, with Docker and this and that and the other. It's, you know, it's, we, we had to cut all this other cool stuff out. Um, you're you know. fighting for 30 seconds. You're fighting for 20 seconds. Right? Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. I've been in so many meetings for those keynotes and you're just like, all right, we need to cut 30 seconds off of this demo. You're like, if you cut 30 seconds, you're cutting like the best part. How do we, yeah. how do we choose what to say and what not to say? Because we're producing so much content, even VSTS, our, our solution for DevOps, it's updated uh-huh. every three weeks. And there's like three, four, five, sometimes six months between each conference. That's a lot of cool stuff that we've added since oh, the yeah. last time you saw us. And you want us to put it in a four minute demo, five minute demo. It, it's it's painful. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have to pick the real winners that are going to have the biggest yep. impact. It's yeah. And, yeah. you know, we we do this with uh, Visual Studio Code. You know, we, we have oh, my gosh, yeah. on, you know, every six months or so. Um, either at one of these events or we just, you know, hey, Chris, come talk to us again. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the same thing. He's like, yeah, so you saw that in the demo. And then we also have this and this and this, you know. Yep. And yeah, uh, it's just amazing. Now, one thing that I do remember from the interview we did last, I, I keep wanting to say last year, but it's 2018 and the interview is in 2016. <laughs> anyway, um, when we talked in 2016, you had a definition of DevOps that I found a little bit less conventional um, mm-hmm. for the programming community. Because usually when I talk to people about DevOps, they're talking about like Chef or Puppet or some script that sets up your server Correct. Um, you know, if, if they're really pushing it, you might include a deploy script and that's about it. But for you, DevOps is about the whole process, right? Correct. It's, it's about the whole, the whole system that gets your code from your machine up to wherever it's going to wind up and has it working and does all the tests and make sure that it all does what it's supposed to do. Correct. And it, it includes people in, in, in that definition. Mm-hmm. So the definition, if you go to visualstudio.com, whack DevOps, you'll see the definition that I wrote. And it's DevOps is the union of people, process, and products to enable continuous delivery of value to our end users. Yep. And that encompasses everything that you said earlier and things that you didn't mention, right? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about continuously delivering value, you're going to need automation to do that, right? right? You cannot do that manually. So you are going to have the chefs and the puppets and the Visual Studio team services. You're going to have those tools in there and the Jenkins and the, all that cool stuff, yep. right? But you have to make sure that your people get it. Oh, you absolutely. can't just put tools in place, right? There's, there's the tools alone will not succeed if your people do not understand why they're there. Yep. And those tools are usually there to help you guide you down a process that mm-hmm. you are following, Scrum or Agile or test driven development, or, or there's some mindset that your organization has to have. It's a culture that you build. Right. And what you're using with these tools is you're basically guiding you down the path of success. So to me, it's people, process, and products that come together that deliver that continuous value that we want for our customers. Absolutely. The way you talk about it, though, it almost sounds more like it's 
business practice, I want to say, than programming practice? There's a little bit of everything in there, yeah. actually. Because you have to remember, everything starts with an idea. Uh-huh. Some marketing person or some CEO comes in and says, I have this amazing idea that I believe is going to make us rich or make mm-hmm. us lots of money, make us right. influential. You got You have to groom that idea. You have to take that idea and you have to break it down. You have to analyze it. So it DevOps to me begins long before you commit code to a repository. It right. begins with that idea. And how do we break it down? How do we plan for it? How are we going to go attack that idea? And at that point, you have planning, you have design, you have graphical user interfaces. You do have developers. You have architects figuring mm-hmm. out how the system is going to work together. And then there's a lot of testing that happens. There's a lot of development that happens. And then eventually we're going to start delivering this code as often as we possibly can into production. So to me, there's a business aspect. There's a development aspect. There's a security aspect. There's an infrastructure aspect. I mean, mm-hmm. whatever it takes to, to take that idea and and actually run it in production, DevOps is all of that. Yeah, I I completely agree. And it's it's interesting. I think a lot of companies and a lot of just small teams or even individual developers they get so focused on the craft of programming that they don't take the time to look at these other pieces. And then what happens is they run into some pain point that DevOps would solve. And so they go and they pull some of the pieces out that solve that problem. And then they ignore it again until the next piece, you know, the next pain point comes up. And in a lot of cases, they wind up spinning their wheels a whole bunch when in reality, if they go and think about the process beforehand and think about some of the things that they're trying to accomplish. Like you said, you know, before they even commit code, then you get to the point where you can actually deliver and you can get this stuff done and you get a lot of this stuff out of the way and you can do more with less too, which is also really uh, important to businesses. I agree. And what's also interesting, you're kind of alluding to that, is that the pipeline that's going to take those commits and put them in production can actually exist before the single line of code is written. Yep. Right. If I know that I'm going to be deploying to Azure App Service, I can actually have a CI build uh-huh. that is ready to every time I do a commit, it's going to download the code. It's going to compile my .NET Core application, do a .NET restore, build, publish, and yeah. then it's going to take that and it's going to deploy it to App Service. I can figure that out even before I write a single line of code. That could be a template that I use for all projects that are going to be mm-hmm. .NET Core deploying into App Service. And I can lay that down on day one. The yep. very first commit that a developer makes is going to try to deploy itself into that app service. And then I'll instantly be able to determine if I got something right or wrong. Do I need to tweak something? Yep. Can we bolt on testing? You don't have to wait till the end to start building your DevOps pipeline. The other thing that you mentioned is how you said people focus on a pain point. They'll get that pain point going and then they'll go off and forget about it a little while. It's interesting that you put it that way because I also tell customers you need to focus on what hurts most first. That's pretty much exactly what you just yep. described. This hurts. This is what's slowing us down. Let's go fix that. And then what ends up happening is something else now becomes the thing that hurts the most mm-hmm. because now that problem has been solved. Yep. And then you realize, holy crap, this over here is now the bottleneck. This is now what's slowing us down the most. Uh-huh. And then I would, as they're doing it, I would also encourage them, let's go attack that now. But don't think also that if you're, if you're in a brownfield project, you don't have to go build a DevOps pipeline That's from the beginning true. to end on day one, right? Yeah. You can go and focus on we don't have source control. By got halt means go get source control. We don't have continuous <laughs> integration. Go get continuous integration. Now yeah. that we have a, a build that's producing this output, let's figure out if we can deploy it. So it's okay to build it piecemeal, but you don't want to leave it for, for months or years. Uh, you know what I mean? You want to yeah. constantly be improving that and get to that perfect pipeline as fast as you can. Yep, makes sense. 
So uh, we kind of went way off on a tangent. This is this is a, a, you know this is about your story, but um, it, it's it's interesting stuff to highlight and just really think about. Okay, I really can solve these problems, and yes. and and that's really where I want people to get to is you know I, I and and we see this in a lot of other areas of life where um, you know people feel like they're not empowered to act because of whatever you know how they grew up or where they grew up yeah. or you know things like that. Um, you know and. I see programmers do the same thing where it will, this is the way I was taught to do it. And so this is the way we just do it. And it's like, yeah. look, if it hurts, there's probably an answer. And, yes. And, and, and you don't need permission to go do your job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that, that's the part that, that is one question that just gets me like riled up is I'll go off and I'll do this amazing DevOps demo. People all excited. And then someone will raise their hand and say, Donovan, how can I go back to work tomorrow and get permission to do this? And then I just lose it. I'm like, permission to do this? What are you talking about? This is your job. Like what you should have had to ask permission for was, can I do it the way you're doing it now? Can yeah. I do it manually? Can I do it where I screw up every other day? Can I do it slowly? Because that's what you're doing. Yeah. Yet you have to go ask permission to do it faster and more reliably. Yeah. That just that makes no sense to me. But it's it's to the point that you just made. The culture is this is the way that we do it. Yep. And I don't they don't feel empowered. They don't feel that they have the right or to go and change the way that they've been doing it for the last 20, 30 years. But I'm like, you're you're you weren't hired to do it the way you're doing it. You were hired to produce value. You were hired yep. to write that software and continuous integration and DevOps best practices just basically enhance your ability to do that. To me, it's your job to go set up continuous integration. It's your job to go set up continuous delivery because that makes you more efficient and allows you to focus on what I actually hired you to do, which mm -hmm. is write software, not maintain a tool chain, right? Yeah. So it's kind of funny when they ask me that question, I'm just like, I lose it. I'm like, come on, guys. This is do not ask for permission. Just go do the right thing because it's your job. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I could sit here and I could riff on this all day, but I'm not going to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were, yeah. Well, you know, well, the funny thing is, is that I do write a lot of JavaScript. Uh -huh. so if you want to like, kind of kind of turn around, um, I started off with C and C plus plus, and then I went to C sharp. And uh -huh. I write more Node, right, more JavaScript using Node than than anything today. It's it's unbelievable uh, how much I use Visual Studio Code, which just makes it so easy to do, right? Because right. it's like it is the sickest editor I've ever used. Right? It's just like so freaking fast. Has everything that I need. And I feel like I'm cheating on Visual Studio sometimes, but I'm like, at least it's still in the family because <laughs> yeah. that product is so freaking good. So I write Node.js pretty much every day. The um, the Yeoman generator that I created that builds out an entire pipeline for you is all written in JavaScript, right? So awesome. that's where I spend a lot of my time um, writing a lot of JavaScript. The first time I ever met JavaScript was, I'm trying to think, it was probably 2002 maybe? 2001, 2002, I went to this little company and a buddy of mine just really loved JavaScript. And he was doing Ajax long before it was called Ajax, right? He, yeah. he like was way ahead of the curve. He introduced me to this weird little language where a function can have a property that has functions on it. I'm like, dude, this is weird. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. I come from a strongly typed language. What do you mean I can just change the type of the value to something else? And I, I was really afraid of JavaScript when I first saw it. I was like, this is not cool. I don't like the fact that it was a string a second ago and now it's an integer. I don't like this language. You I don't weren't like alone. That. Oh man, it was Back like, then, it freaked me alone. out. Yeah. 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 It just freaked me out. Right. I was like, I don't like this. But then as I, as I kind of freed my mind and started thinking differently and node is what really got me. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause when node came out, I kind of said, okay, let me take a fresh look at this. I'm, I'm sick of just using JavaScript for 
um, cool stuff on my website, right? right? It looks like I can now use JavaScript for some real development. And then what's funny about that is I hated Node because everything was asynchronous. I'm like, damn it, I just want to write to a file. Why is writing to a file so freaking hard? Why do I have to wait for this stuff to happen? And then I found a couple of good books. And I basically said, okay, Donovan, just stop forcing it to be what it's not, right? right. You want it to be C. You want it to be C++. And it's not, right? It's uh -huh. a completely different way of thinking. Everything happens asynchronously. Just get over it. And when I finally started to embrace that, I was like, holy mackerel, this is so freaking powerful. Yep. Because I do a lot of stuff in Azure, and I'll create like four or five resource groups. Deleting resource groups takes a long time, but not mm -hmm. if you use Node.js, because I can now delete all of them in parallel, right? It's like, right. now I'm starting to see the light and understand how powerful this thing is. And that's when I started to fall back in love with JavaScript. It's like, okay, now I get it. Node.js is finally making me, making me understand what's going on. And you would think, coming from the C, C++ world, that I'd be all over TypeScript, but I'm not, which is ironic. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, this is weird, right? So, I, again, I'm I'm a little old. I'm just like everybody else. I don't like changing if I don't have to. Mm -hmm. I've gotten really good at writing just raw JavaScript. I'm I'm yep. pretty safe. I'm pretty good. I write a lot of Mocha tests. So uh, that stuff that would catch you in at runtime, I catch at compiled. I, I basically get during my unit test, right? So uh -huh. I'm I'm a really heavy tester. So TypeScript and the and the, all the safety that it gives us, it it doesn't pay as many dividends for me. First of all, because I'm a sole developer. I think TypeScript's mm -hmm. great when you're on a team. It helps everyone stay standard and, right. and all that good stuff. I'm a sole developer. I write a lot of unit tests. And I look at TypeScript and think, this is one more thing I have to learn, right? And every time <laughs> I start to learn it, I'm thinking to myself, damn it, I'd be done already if I would just have written this in JavaScript, yeah. right? Because I'm trying to learn the syntax and set up my editor correctly and all that kind of stuff. So every every couple of years, I go back and say, like, that's it. I'm going to learn TypeScript. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd be done already. Not because TypeScript is bad or wrong. It's just because my mind, like like everyone else, mm -hmm. doesn't want to change what I know. And I got to figure out why do I have to compile it now? It's interpreted anyway. I just don't understand right. it, right? So <laughs> I'm trying to get over that hump in 2018. I'm going to learn TypeScript. I'm going to get good with it. And I'm going to go back in and start applying it to some of the other stuff that I do. But yeah, I'm a big fan of JavaScript now that uh, Node.js has like, opened my eyes to the power of it. That's awesome. It's funny. I think. I mean, jQuery went a long way to making JavaScript at least not scary, right? It's, uh, you know, th this crap breaks all the time. And, you know, jQuery kind of made that go away. And then, yeah, I, I think I think even in the browser, JavaScript started to take off after Node.js. Just, just because, you know, we, we all of a sudden had all, all these capabilities on the server. You know, we, we could start building build tools and things like that and you know, it, it it gave us a different environment to work in in JavaScript. And then people started thinking, oh, well, it's not so bad in the browser now. Right. And, so, and what I thought was interesting, too, is that I was I think it was before .NET Core was released. Someone asked me, so Donovan, I, I'm interested in programming. What language would you tell me to learn? And I thought about it for a second. I said, you know what? I'd actually learn JavaScript. He's like, why? Because like, it gets you in the browser. Node.js gets you on the server. And yeah. Cordova gets you on a mobile. Like, literally, you learned one mm -hmm. language. And you now have access to every platform on Earth. Yep. And then .NET Core dropped, and then we acquired Xamarin. So I'm like, okay, now you have two choices, right? You can literally get to all three of those same platforms with C Sharp uh -huh. now, just like you could with with uh, with JavaScript. But those are the two languages that truly delivered on that. Java always touted the write once, run anywhere. Everyone knows that that's not true, right? Yeah. You write once, you test everywhere. It doesn't run the same. All the JVMs are different. Yep. But JavaScript and .NET Core have kind of like gotten that finally delivered on that promise that if you write it, it's going to mm -hmm. work everywhere, right? Which is yep. pretty incredible. 
But a couple of years ago, had you asked me what language to learn, I would have definitely said JavaScript hands down. It's the one that gets you everywhere. And now it's like flip a coin, JavaScript or, or C Sharp. They're both going to get you everywhere. Awesome. Do you want to tell me a little bit about this Yeoman generator that you're working on? Oh, sure. So what happens was a friend of mine introduced me to Yeoman. And if, for those who don't know what Yeoman is, it's an open source project. You can go to GitHub and just look up Yeoman. And it stamps out projects for you. It's kind of like a file new project at the command line. So if mm-hmm. you need a new Angular application, you can use Angular CLI, but you could also use Yeoman and say, right. yo, whatever. And then it'll stamp out an entire perfect application for you. It's like, this is pretty cool stuff, but I'm a DevOps guy. Mm-hmm. The code is the easy part, right? I can file yeah. new anywhere. But what I need is the CI pipeline. I need the project in BSTS. I need the build. I need everything, right? How do I get everything from Yeoman, not just the project? Well, you can write your own Yeoman generators, which mm-hmm. I then went to the Yeoman website, read all that I could, and actually built a Yeoman generator to where you answer like five questions. And not only do you get the whole world project you would have normally gotten, I create a project for you in VSTS. I create a CI build for you in VSTS. And I create a release pipeline in VSTS that uses infrastructure's code to your Azure account. So nice. you literally just type in a couple answers and you sit back and then you just commit your code and then you have a working application. I timed it once and from the time I start typing to the time I actually see code running in Azure mm-hmm. is four minutes and some change. Oh wow! Like, exactly. And, <laughs> and I and I I felt I felt bad so I went to South Africa and I got to go talk to some Java meetups. So I went to these Java meetups, and they're all looking at me like weird, like, why is the Microsoft guy here talking to us about Java? Right? I'm like, listen, I have some cool stuff to tell you, I promise. So I said, do me a favor. I'm at a Java meetup. I'm going to give you a scenario. I want you to use all open source tools. I want you to give me a Spring MBC application. I want you to connect it to Sonar, um, to Sonar Cube. I want you to run JUnit test. I want you to calculate code coverage. I want this to happen on every single commit. I want a CI build. I want a continuous delivery pipeline that goes to dev, QA, and prod into Azure. And I want infrastructure's code and configuration's code. How long, starting from nothing, would it take you to produce that entire solution for me? I got answers from anywhere from four hours to a week. Mm-hmm. So they, they felt that if they sat down, four hours later, they would give me an entire pipeline, project, everything I asked for. I'm like, okay, cool. Hold on. And then four minutes later, they saw it running in Azure and their mouths are just like, what just happened? Like, that's what Microsoft <laughs> can do for you. <laughs> yep. You could have started three hours and 56 minutes, 56 minutes before me. I would still finish before you. Right. I think mean, that's the power that we have here at Microsoft. And that's what the Yeoman, the Yeoman generator is, is producing. It's just letting people know that I do Node.js, Java, C Sharp and .NET Core with this tool. And I do deploy to Azure App Service, Docker Containers. I mean, it's just and we the open source community is starting to embrace it and starting to help me uh, add languages and add targets because we want to add Go and, and all that other stuff. But I'm not learning any more languages. Like I said, I'm old. I'm tired. I'm not going to go learn Go. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go learn PHP. So if you want it in there, just send me a pull request and with the sample project, and then I'll help you build the pipeline, and we'll have Yeoman do all sorts of cool stuff for us. Awesome. That is but really that's what cool. Thanks. And... Uh, yeah, usually I ask people what they've contributed to the JavaScript community that they're most proud of. Are, are there other things that you've contributed to the DevOps or JavaScript or open source communities that you're really proud of that you want to talk about? Yeah, open 
source, yes. It's, it happens to be PowerShell module, though. It's not okay. a uh, it's not a JavaScript module. The yo the Yeoman, like I said, is, is all written in JavaScript mm-hmm. and also does generate a pipeline for Node.js, so right. an express application. So I'm really happy with that. It's very popular. I demo it all over the world and it always gets well received. But the thing that I've been working on a lot lately is a PowerShell module that allows you to interrogate your Visual Studio Team Services account from PowerShell. Oh, cool. So you can see all your projects. You can see all your releases. You can approve releases that have mm-hmm. approvals waiting for you. Uh, you can actually navigate your entire VSTS like a file system. So you can just type DIR and see all your projects and then CD into a project and do DIR and see oh, all your wow. builds and releases. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's right? cool. So, yeah, I've been heads down on that for a while, and the community's picked up on that. Even the PowerShell team picked up on it, and that was really a, a moment where I was like, okay, I, I'm on to something here when the PowerShell team came to me and said, Donovan, we want to demo your module at Ignite this year. And I was like, that's awesome. He said, but we need you to do one thing for us. We need you to rename it. I was like, what are you talking about? He says, your name is too generic and you need to put a noun in front of it. And I was like, it's funny because that's like the first feedback I got on the module. When I first put it out in the open source, I just called it team. And the very first thing was you need to rename it. I was like, nope, I'm not going to rename it because I didn't understand why the guy was telling me to rename it. Like, <laughs> he says, yeah, but it's for name conflicts. I'm like, okay, what module is any of my uh, functions conflicting with there's none of them i was like okay i don't see the problem then why would i rename it when there is no conflict out there whoever comes next they have to rename theirs because i was first so i just ignored it for like a year and then finally the powershell team says okay donovan we like it we want to demo it but you got to rename it i was like i don't understand why and then he went back and explained to me this is a powershell culture like this is the way that things are done i can't get on stage and show something that just basically ignores all of the best practices and culture and say, this is something that you should be using. And when he told it to be that way, it made sense. Like, okay, I don't want to be a bad citizen. Right. Right. They were just telling me it was about name conflicts and there weren't any. So I didn't get it. Right. Uh He says, no, no. So what I did is I finally renamed it. But the sad thing is, is people are still downloading the old one. Right. So no, I should have renamed it because now my numbers are all screwed up. I have like 300 downloads of one and over 1200 downloads of the other. Right. So I'm trying to convince people you got to start downloading the new one. But that, that's where I'm spending a lot of time. And it's actually had me think a lot about how to do package packages when I do deployments, right? Uh-huh. So I have an entire DevOps pipeline now for a PowerShell module, which is basically just a NuGet package. And I have an entire DevOps pipeline for my Yeoman generator, which is just an NPM package, mm-hmm. right? So it's really given me time to think and work through what I believe the best practices are for DevOps for packages, right. which are different than DevOps for, for apps that you're going to mm-hmm. deploy to a, um, a website because the final destination of the output is either um, NPM or it's a NuGet uh, registry, right. things like that. So it kind of changes the way that you think about things and how you test things. But I'm glad I went through that exercise because I'm pretty proud of the pipelines that I've built. And my team is we're going to basically start documenting how I did that and produce extensions for VSTS so that it's easier for the next person. So you don't have to figure out all the power so that I figured out, you can now just basically drop in these tasks out of a, an extension and you're going to be able to do DevOps for packages using package management as your internal package store and then NPM or, or, or NuGet or wherever it is, your final destination will be your production deployment. Awesome. Thanks. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I'm excited. And it's how I vacation, which my wife hates. So I spent my entire <laughs> vacation working on that stuff. Uh, but it's just what I do for fun, too. So I guess that's, it shows that it's what I do for fun because I, I I think it shows in the quality of what I produce. Yep. Yeah. When when I vacation with my wife, yeah, I have to turn everything off. Oh, yeah. yeah I can't do any of that. And so yeah. 
with with the travel I do for conferences and stuff, sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I'm getting itchy fingers. I got to work on this thing. And so I'll book an extra day in the hotel. (laughs) (laughs) When are you coming back? Saturday. (laughs) Okay. See you then. (laughs) Yeah, my wife, she's pretty good. She she knows when I'm itchy because she can tell that I'm physically there, but mentally I'm not where I'm not, not there. She's like, go work. I'll see you in an hour. Then I run upstairs and I code for an hour and then I come back and I'm kind of relaxed and I can chill out. We'll watch yeah. the TV and eat. And she's like, get out of here. Cause you can just see my head's gone again. Right. I literally yeah. woke up yesterday and ran upstairs because I, it sounds horrible, but so much of a geek I am. It literally came to me in a dream what to do in my DevOps pipeline. Like literally came to me in a dream. Like, Oh my God, I know what to do. And I woke up, ran upstairs and it worked. I'm like, this is freaking awesome. It's like, how did you figure that out? I was like, it literally came to me last night while I was asleep. And like, she's like, you're weird. I'm like, a little bit. <laughs> a little <laughs> <Nice>. bit. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's my it, I guess. I love it. Very cool. Well, and I usually also ask what you're working on now, but I think we, we heard that. Yep. So. Yeah, Yo- Yeoman and the PowerShell modules are things that I'm working on constantly. I'm also building out some crazy new demos. Um, one of my teammates and I are going to Singapore here in a couple weeks, and then another one of my teammate of mine and I are going to Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do some speaking tours. So I'm dreaming up some crazy more demos that I can do uh, to show off how powerful our stuff is. Awesome. If people want to go check out the PowerShell plugin mm-hmm. or the Yeoman generator, are, are those on GitHub? or They are on GitHub. So my my username is DarkWarrior, spelled D-A-R-Q-U-E. So Dark Warrior, And you'll see the generator team is what Yeoman, the Yeoman generator is called. And then VS team is what the PowerShell module is called. And if you just go to PowerShell and say install module and just type VST, it'll download, right? You'll get the latest mm-hmm. version. And then if you already have Yeoman installed and you search for inside of Yeoman, you can search for other generators. Just type in generator hyphen team and you'll find it. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, before we do picks, uh, one other thing that I'm curious, if people want to follow what you are working on, maybe you uh, tweet or you... I do. You know... You, you already shared GitHub, but you maybe have a blog or something like that, too. Uh, both. So I my blog and my Twitter are the same. It's Donovan Brown. So you can go to DonovanBrown.com or uh, at Donovan Brown on Twitter. And Twitter is the number one way to get a hold of me. Uh, my team is also on there, the entire team. If you need to get a, all of our attention, you can use a hashtag. It's L-O-E-C-D-A, which stands for League of Extraordinary Cloud DevOps Advocates. If you actually <laughs> use that hashtag... It fires up inside of our team room, and all of us will go and read that tweet and say, okay, how can we help this person? So if you need all of us, use that hashtag, and you'll get the entire league to come and read your tweet. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I Oh, podcast. Sure. Um, I've been a guest on a lot of podcasts. I have a show. Actually, I, did, I do have to have a podcast. I have a show on Channel 9 called oh, okay. DevOps Interviews. That gets re that gets automatically turned into a podcast on an iTunes. So I guess I do have a podcast, but to me it's all I think of it more of as a show where okay. I sit down with someone. Most of the guests have been from the BSTS team. So if mm-hmm. you don't know much about BSTS, it's deployed every three weeks, right? And it's over six hundred developers, mm-hmm. right? In fifty feature teams across the world. So there's always a pull request going. They average six hundred pull requests a day. Oh wow. Yes, it's ridiculous. And each one of those pull requests went over 60,000 unit tests, right? So to do DevOps at that scale is a huge task. So what I do is I interview individuals from the team who have helped build the culture, Uh who have helped build the pipeline. And we sit down for usually 45 minutes to an hour and just talk about 
How do we do quality on VSTS? How do we ship every three weeks? What does our DevOps pipeline look like? How do we do safe deployment? How do we mm-hmm. keep all the architecture consistent? And I just grab the engineers and the PMs off that team and we sit down for however long it takes to answer those questions. And the shows have gotten so popular that I've had to have customer, I mean, guests come back because we'll post the video, we'll get 14, 15 questions that they want deeper dives on. And those end up being new shows. Like, okay, we're going to answer these five questions in the next show. And it's another half an hour, 45 minutes. We sit down talking about the insides of how Microsoft does DevOps on the BSTS team. So that is a podcast that you can go and listen to. Right. And it's DevOps interviews. Yep. It's called DevOps interviews. It's on iTunes and it's also on channel nine. And I have interviews on DevOps, best practices, anti-patterns, rugged DevOps, continuous integration, Quality, I mean, you name it. There's all kinds of crazy topics up there uh, on how we do DevOps here at Microsoft and how you can do DevOps at your organizations as well. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, do you have sure. some things you want to shout out about? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Um, what do I thinking about now actually not a lot unfortunately i've been so heads down on on coding right now um <laughs> my biggest shout out right now is visual studio code the editor is just ridiculous i, I freaking love it i love how lightweight it is i love how quickly it loads up and it's slowly creeping from the editor range into the ide range right uh-huh. it's like it's slowly getting there i keep getting it, it wants to be promoted as an editor and i'll say as long as you don't have file new project i'll keep calling you an editor right so as long as they don't have that <laughs> I'll call you later, but they have debugging and everything is so freaking fast. I love it. So I think Visual Studio Code, if you haven't downloaded it and played with it yet, you need to go ahead and do that. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that for most of the things that we've talked about with DevOps and pipelines and processes and, you know, the collaboration, you know, with the new code sharing, I can't remember what they called it, um, you know, all the different features that are in it, it, there are plugins for all that stuff. Yep. And so, you know, if you are using Azure or you're using Amazon or you're using something else or you're deploying to your own servers, they got plugins for all kinds of stuff, all kinds of languages. And anyway, so, yeah, it's it's not just a great editor, but it probably has the tools that you're looking for in it. Exactly. And the only other thing that I'm I'm still I I moved from the Visual Studio Team Services team over to the Azure team. So now Mm -hmm. I'm on the Azure side, but I'm still a big fanboy of BSTS. And I just want everyone to know that it's for any language and any platform. Yeah. It's not just for .NET on Windows. I think that's something that a lot of people need to understand. I say it every time I'm on stage. I say any language, any platform. And I just don't think believe people believe me. And if you catch it, if you watch the Connect demo, I even make a joke about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm on stage and I say any language, any platform. 
And then I say, but I'm going to do Java right now on stage because I still don't think you believe me. So I do Java on yeah. stage at Connect just to prove that we can do any language, any platform. So give it a shot. I mean, for free, how can you go wrong, right? It gives you everything that you need. It's for free, and it works for your language from Linux, Mac, or PC. Yeah. For, just, just That's the other thing. So Visual Studio Code and VSTS together is just an amazing one-two punch. Yeah, most of the stuff at Microsoft I'm finding you can try for free. So like Azure, yeah. you get $200 credit. Uh, yeah. VSTS, I haven't looked at what their trial is, but you get five users for free, and then the sixth user, I think it's ten bucks a month or something like that. Right. It's something insignificant. And if you already have an MSDN subscription, then you never pay for it. So even in, like I said you get five for free. If four of the people you add already have an MSDN, they don't count against your five you get for free. Oh wow! Right, exactly. Right, so you get five non MSDN mm -hmm. users for free. All your MSDN user friends are all free. You can have as big a team as you want as long as they have MSDN. And you can literally go create a startup for zero dollars and zero cents and start building on Mac, Windows, and Linux. We have Mac pools now, so if you want to go do your iOS development, we actually have Macs in the cloud waiting to do your builds for you so that you don't have to worry about how you're going to set up CI on your own Mac or anything like that. It's pretty cool. Awesome. That's awesome. All We're right. doing different things here at Microsoft. It's, it's not your daddy's Microsoft, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> I think, I think we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago on one of the shows and it was, it was basically, and a lot of this is driven by John Papa, who's on several yeah, of the on, shows. And yeah, he's on, uh, he's on my team now. We, he and I both are leads on the CDA team at Microsoft now. Nice. Yeah. We talked to him yesterday on JavaScript Jabber. Oh, cool. Um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's just interesting because yeah, we, we talk about Microsoft and it's like, yeah, I remember 10 years ago when they were like the closed source, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And it's, yeah. it's totally different now. And yeah. You know, it, it it felt like Microsoft kind of, they didn't have the vision from Steve Jobs um, and, and, you know, some of these other guys for a while. And then all of a sudden, uh, Satya Nadala, he kind of got it with open source. Yep. And yep. all of a sudden, Microsoft figured out what they were again. And it was different from what it was before. But it's, yeah, it, it, it and it's, it's it's really great to see companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Facebook and Google and all these other larger companies, Oracle to a certain degree. You know, they're they're out there and they're contributing to the wider tech community. Yes. And yes. um, you know, they can do things that we individual folks have a hard time doing. And yeah. in open source, we have a hard time uh, co coordinating sometimes. And so, yeah, it's it's terrific. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're liking it. I'm. I'm. I'm loving it. It's funny because the first time I ever installed Linux was after I joined Microsoft, which is such a weird thing to say, <laughs> right? Like you join Microsoft, then you install Linux for the first time. Like, yeah. And I thought I'd never have to see Linux or a Mac once I joined Microsoft, but I have two Macs actually. I have a MacBook Mini that I use as a build machine, and then I have a MacBook Pro that I travel with. Uh -huh. My MacBook Pro has Parallels because I need Linux on there as well, so I'm basically Ubuntu half the day. Because everything that we produce here at Microsoft has to work on all the platforms. So I have right. to have a way to get to all the platforms. My primary machine is a Windows machine, but it also has Linux running in a VM on it. Right. Yep. So I always have access to Linux and I can switch between my Mac and my PC if I need to. But I needed all these tools to be effective here. The new Microsoft, right? The Microsoft that's open, the Microsoft that works everywhere. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of which, so I, I have a machine here. I guess I'll just uh, shout out about some of the stuff I've got going. Um, I hadn't installed Windows for... I don't know, ever, um, since Vista or something. And, and that was, that was for a, a, a beta <laughs> that I was running for the company <laughs> I was working at, you know, so I didn't even use it every day. I just, you know, used it when I had to test crap. And, right. uh, you know, so I, I built myself a machine, put Windows 10 on it 
And Windows 10 is really, really nice. Um, but the, the main thing was, was that with the bash on Ubuntu emulator mm. system, yep. that, that was just really, really seamless for me. And then awesome. the other thing, so I'm going to pick that and then I'll also pick, uh, the Docker support for windows is tremendous. Yeah. You know, you're thinking, Oh, Docker Linux <laughs> works great on windows. Yeah, it does. Even if you're on windows developing for Linux, yep. right? Cause you can actually do that. You don't have to be developing for a windows container on yep. a windows machine. You can literally develop for a Linux container yep. on a windows machine, which is freaking awesome as well. That's which is how I got started. You're talking about installing Windows 10 for the first time. Wait till you install it again, which is even cooler. Because if you go to another machine uh-huh. and you install it and they realize, oh, I already know you, all your settings just come over to you. Like the machine is like, oh, I know who you are. And it's built. Like you don't have to worry about oh, reinstalling nice. all that crap or getting your credentials set up. Like everything just starts magic. Mm-hmm. So I just rebuilt two machines and they both were just like, oh, yeah, I know who you are. And it was like, this is freaking awesome. Nice. <laughs> like hours of my life saved because Windows 10 just like knows who you are now. And yeah. it, comes with you when you move from one machine to another. Yeah, but those hours of your life saved, I mean, that's that's essentially what you're talking about with DevOps, too. Yep. And, you know, it's it's that that stuff that, it's not just automatic, it's so automatic you don't even have to think about it. That's and you really shouldn't. powerful. And you shouldn't. And if you are if you are thinking about it a lot, re reevaluate your tool chain. Yeah. Right? Because it should be something that just happens. The only thing that a developer has to do to get code into production should be commit to a repository. Mm-hmm. If you're doing any more than that, you still have work to do. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. I know oh, we went a pleasure. little bit over time. I don't know how much time you have, but thanks for coming. I mean, it's it's just fun to just dig in and talk about it. And you're a terrific guest. Lots of energy oh, and great thanks. stories and stuff. And <laughs> yeah. So it has been my pleasure. Thanks a lot for reaching out. Yeah. Cool. No problem. All right. Talk to you next time. Yep. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.